0: And good morning. Um, I say that a lot because I'm hoping that eventually it gets louder. Because um, I don't know if you know this, I can see like the first two rows. So, to my knowledge, like there's people in the front two rows, and there's nobody else here. So that's like a check for me. Like good morning. There's more than two rows full of people here. Um, so that's why I do it twelve times just to make sure we're with me. Um, This morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter four. So if you have your Bible, you can flip over there. If not, it'll be on the, on the wall here in just a few moments. But we started a series a few weeks ago and uh, we're kind of leaving that and and going into this new series. And as we were building towards that, I was like, God, I don't know. Um, I don't know where we're going from here. Uh, I love the idea we've been talking about, the idea of coming back. And I don't want to leave that. Um, I think really it 'd be amazing if this whole year like that was just the heart it 's like you can come back you don 't have to be far from god you don 't have to uh, live far from god you don 't have to feel far from God that God is saying to us that we can come back. I think last year for a couple of us, maybe a lot of us just 've i 've had so many conversations with some of us it 's like i don 't really feel close to God. And I don't know for last year like some of that was me. I remember saying that to a lot of you guys. I don't want to feel like I'm where I should be. I don't feel like I'm as close as I used to be. I'm not as close to God as I want to be. And then for some of that that was you guys expressing that to me. I just don't feel like I'm like I'm where I'm supposed to be and and that was kind of like 2019 for a couple of us. And maybe you had a different experience and like praise God if you did because it's not a fun place to be. Um but as he was leaning towards this year, I was like, God, what do you want to say? And he was like, just tell them they can come back. And man, what, a, what an awesome thought that, that, that we can come back, that God's already saying to us, like you don't have to be far away. I've been reading these verses, like last night I read, it says, uh, draw near to God and, and he will draw near to you. What an amazing promise, right? Like if I take a step his way, he not might or could or will think about it, but, but he will come close to me. And and man, that's, you see that stuff so much in God's word. And we talk ourselves into like, I don't know if I can come back or I've been too far away for too long. And I just, I've never seen that anywhere in here. I don't know what teaches us that, right? Like, I don't know where we get that at, that God somehow like determines if we can come back based on like how bad we screwed up because the idea of grace is like when, when sin abounds, grace much more abounds like right? when, when sin is great grace is greater is what that means and i don't know where we've been or where we even are today but i just believe for me and for you and for everybody that, that god says today that we can come back and his way of doing that was through jesus death on the on the cross and that didn't count anybody out today everybody has a shot in that today and i just believe that and if i didn't i wouldn't be here i'll be honest um and it was like, where do you go from that, right? Like, where, where, do, you, where do you leave that and go to? And I don't want to leave that. I don't want to just stay there because I don't believe that, you know, we get saved and we come to God and then he just leaves us in that spot and we wait for the rapture or for death. I don't, I don't believe in that. Like, there's got to be something that we do now. Like, when we when we come back, what, what do we do? When we come to God, what do we do? And, and for the next few weeks, I just want to talk about this this idea. The series, I guess, is one word. I like the one word series because I'm not creative. So you just pick a word that means something and put it there. It's, it's focus. And we would focus but now that God has invited us back, that we would, we, would, we would work to, we would move toward him. And we're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. And, and this morning, we're going to do that in Ephesians chapter 4. And, and I love this verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 starts with. And I love it because it's also my favorite verse in Philippians. They just like, Paul took it and he just moved it over here to Ephesians. Um, but the... Letter of Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesus, a group of people like you and me who would profess probably to know Jesus, like most of us in the room today are probably people who would say, I know jesus i 've done the, the saved thing i 've come down front i 've did the prayer, i 've prayed with somebody, and, and i 've had an experience and, and most of us would say that just like most of them would probably say that and this letter was, letter was written to those people. I love that the whole back half of the Bible is written to people that Already profess to know God. I think sometimes we we feel like this is the whole of it, right? Like we come down here, we say the prayer, and then we just like come to church and ignore everything for the next twenty, thirty, forty years because we've already got what we need. And really, this is for other people now, right? But all these letters are written to the, to the church, to people like us, and people who are learning how to how to live and to follow Jesus and. Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus with that with that reason, and he, we're going to get into chapter 4, but chapter 4 starts out with I being Paul, therefore, and we've got to have some context, because like, what is the therefore, therefore, right? Like, I, I love context. I feel like there's a lot of people who maybe just pick a verse, and you're like, well, that's cute, and, and then you read the next verse, and you're like, oh, that didn't mean anything like I thought that meant. So context is a great thing when you're reading the Bible, uh, but when you get the word therefore, you've got to have something, right? You've got to figure out what he's talking about. So if you back up like two verses, here's the therefore, he says, Now to him, him being God, who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in you. And then he just finishes that thought to him. And here's what we're ascribing to him. But I love what Paul's doing in this moment because right here in the last two verses of chapter 3, he's reminding us about this God that we're about to talk about. He's like, this is this God that we're talking about. This God that we're talking about is able. This God that we're talking about is, in fact, able. He he has the ability to do. I think we forget that sometimes. You're like, that's just the word. There's more. There is more, but if we don't get this word, we're not going to get any other words. This God is able. I just want you to know that this morning. I don't know what you're going through, what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with today. But I want you to know that this God has the ability to do. That this God that we're talking about, the next few verses that we're talking about, he is able. If you're dealing with something today, God is able to carry it with you. If you're going through something today, God is able to walk you through it and out of it. This God is able and he's able to do amazing things. OK, I was excited about that. Maybe you're not. Um, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be excited about that. You do what you need to do. I'm pumped about the fact that God is able, that he has the ability to work and to move still today. We get in our heads sometimes. I think that like the ability of God just ends up in church or like this is all God does. You just you walk up and like we're going to sing some songs and maybe like my funny bone starts going and the arm comes up. And that's like the extent of God's power. And that's just not it. Or like we get to hear somebody talk for probably too long in most of our brains because we're ready to go to lunch. And we think that like God, if he moves and like one person comes down, that's the full power and the ability of God. And that's just not true. The God that we're talking about today is the God who breathed out the universe. People like Genesis 1, right? There was this God and he made everything. And nothing was made without him and apart from him. Like everything was made by him and for him and through him. And that means he gets to make all the rules today. And things that seem impossible to us are not very impossible to God. God is, in fact, today, able. He's still powerful. He's still working. He's still moving. And we forget that sometimes because we get caught up in I like to sing a song or two and I want to hear somebody talk or two. But God is doing things across the world and the universe today. And the thing that that we need to know above everything else. If we're going to keep going is God is able. What brings hope in the middle of the darkness is God is able. What brings hope when we're dealing with death is God is able. When we get the doctor coming into the room and saying there's something wrong. The thing that brings hope is God is able. The thing that says my family and my friends can get off the drugs and get out of this situation and come to know Jesus is God is able. And if we don't start there, why are we even here? God is able and he just starts out and he's like, hey, I know we're in the church thing. I'm writing a letter. You're going to read this and I know you're going to like, yeah, it was cool. But I just want you to know before I say anything else, God is able. And then he starts explaining just a piece of that able, right? Man, if we started writing down all the things that God was able... Maybe it's a good thing to do this week. Maybe we can just go home and be like, God is able. And just like start writing the things that God's able to do. But if we started to write that thing down, there would not be enough ink in the world. And enough paper in the world to write all the things that God is able to do down. So he just gives us a couple little things. A couple little things that are really big things actually. He says, now to him, him being God. And this is the God we're talking about who's able... This is what he's able, just a little piece of it to do. He's able to do above and beyond all that we could ask. Or listen to this. Think. This is this is the God we're talking about. Before we get any farther, church, this is the God we're talking about. This God is able. I don't know what you've been told. I don't know what's been trained out of you. I don't know what the what the Christian culture says today. I don't know what messages you've heard, but God is able. And He's able to do to act, to move, to work, still powerful today. He's able to do, what's it say? More. But not just more, like abundantly more. Like more, more. (laughs) Like more than you can imagine more. He's able to do abundantly more than what we could ever ask. Man, there ain't no prayer too big for God. There's no mountain too big for God. There, there's nothing too big for God. So what he's saying. We pray these little bitty prayers. God, wake me up in the morning. Man, that's worked pretty well for most of us today. And I would imagine that for most of us tomorrow, it'll go about the same way. And he's like, he's able to do more. <laughs> God, thank you for this food. He's able to do more. Yes, thank you for the food, but he's able to do more. That's what he's saying. He's able to do more than you could ever ask. You like could pray big, crazy prayers. I'm not going to say he's going to do all of them, right? I prayed. I was playing the lottery this week. Um, it wasn't a real lottery. It was like a gun lottery. So, Man, some of you are double offended now. Uh, <laughs> I didn't win it. I don't really care. I asked for it and I didn't get it. Well, I probably didn't need it because maybe I'm like Barney Fife and I don't need another gun, right? Like <laughs> God knows what he's doing. I trust you. I trust you. Your ways are higher than our own. But it doesn't disqualify him. I just want to say this because some of us have prayed for people to get healed before and it hadn't happened. And the, and the faith shut down. And you started believing, well, God doesn't do that. God still does that. We've been praying God saved this person for years and he hadn't done it yet. Maybe to our knowledge, he he didn't do it at all. But I want you to know God still does that. See, our hearts and our brains, when disappointment creeps in, tell us God doesn't do those things anymore. And the reality of it is God is God and he'll do what he wants. That's just truth today. We don't have to like it, but it's, it's truth. He's sovereign, and he knows what he's doing, and we get a little bitty piece, and he gets the whole puzzle. We see our little blip on the map, and he sees the universe. Like, God knows what God's doing, and he gets to choose what he does. But he's saying, I want you to know, God, God does amazing things. Writes in a different book, you have not because you ask not. He says, I want you to know this God is able to not just do the little bitty things, but abundantly more than you could ever ask he could do more than you could ever ask for. It's not like a limit on the number of prayers that he's willing to answer, that he can do more than you could ever ask for. But I love this next part, or that you could imagine. Let's just think what is that? It's the, the imagination, this God can do more than we could ever imagine, more than our minds can conceive, this God can do. You just think about that for a moment. More than our minds can wrap around, this God can do. Isn't that crazy today? We get God in this little bitty box, and we're like, God can do these things. And he's like, you can't put a box around this God. He's able to do more than your brain could ever comprehend this is this God. And he just starts off with that, right? Like, I just want you to know, I'm about to say something about this God. Before we do, I'm going to just praise him for just a minute. This is the God who is able to church to do more than you could ever ask or imagine. Before we go onto the next thing, I need to remind you today, this is this God. This is the God that we worship. This is the God we're reading about, that we're talking about. This is the God we serve in just a little piece. Like right, there's a whole book and we didn't even get all of God in the whole book. Like this is that God, just a little piece of it. He's able to do, he's able to do. More than we can ever ask or imagine. And then he finishes the thought, he says to him, to this God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the God that we serve. And what he's saying is, he deserves. I'm ascribed to him, I'm telling you today, that he deserves all the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever. Amen. Now, what is this saying? Glory is a word that that means either the evidence of God, the uh, manifest presence of God, beauty, majesty of God. And, And what he's saying to us is like, this is the God that we serve and when people look at your life, they should see in some piece the beauty and the majesty of God. Your life should bring glory to God. What that means is when people look at you, your life should reflect in some way the majesty and the beauty of this God. That brings them glory. Glory. That the, that the world, not even just the church, right? Like, oh, they're cool. They raise their hands and worship. They shout. They, they jump. They whatever. Like, okay, cool. No, like the whole church, not the building, right? Build these giant temples. God's not concerned with that. But the, the members of the body, the people, you and me, in our daily life should, should live in such a way that people look at us and they see in a piece the beauty and the majesty of God. Just like they looked at Christ's life, we look at Christ's life and see the beauty and the majesty of God. This is what he's saying. This is the context. Everything that four is about to sit in is this. Because see, here's the reality. We will never live out four until we realize the end of verse three. Until we get those two Versus we we will never live out the rest we spend so much time trying to train our minds and our people and our bodies to follow these rules and the reality is the problem is not with the rules the problem is with our view of, of what God has done who he is and what he's called us to. See, when we remember that this is the God that we serve, this is God who's able to do like more than we could ever ask or imagine. When we see who this God is and we see the majesty of God, and we are impressed with the beauty and the majesty of God, then our lives reflect the beauty and the majesty of God. But the reality is most of us are far too unimpressed with God. Problem in the church. 101 college class we're teaching this morning is we are not impressed with God. For most of us, it's because we're far too impressed with ourselves. We are not impressed with God. We've lost something. We started living like it depended on us. Like we could solve all our problems. Like we could do all our things. Like we, we can manufacture and make everything happen. Like, like if we live good enough and clean enough that, the, that we can be saved or we can earn in some way the salvation that we've received. And Paul here is calling us back. And he's saying, man, this God is impressive. This God is impressive. And he deserves. you remember when you first saw Christ? Do you remember when that first felt like when you were like, oh, my gosh. That guy loves me and he died for me and he, he gave everything for me. And we were just so, like, overcome with that that we were like, I would do anything for that guy. He's like, you lost it. You lost it. We got to get it back. Because God, He deserves all the beauty and the majesty. Like, you know, when the angels are singing in, in Isaiah 6, they're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. What He's saying is, like, all of creation points to the beauty and the majesty of God. Some of you experience that, right? Like you go to the ocean and you're just like, man, that's amazing. And you just can't do anything but think of God. Or you go to the mountains, maybe that's your place. And you're like, can't do anything but think of God. Maybe for some of you, it's like your garden. I don't get to pick where your place is. But there's like something in in nature that you're like, man, that is amazing. Some of you, like you look at the stars, and you're like, that's amazing. And these words are the same. And he's like, just like the ocean does that for you. You should do that for others. But you're never going to do it until you get to the point where you're just impressed with this God. If you're so busy reflecting you, how are you going to reflect God? And then he sits into that two verses, the next few he says, and for I, Paul, therefore, because of this, the prisoner of the Lord, it's a title he puts on himself. God didn't ever come down and track him up. What is, what is he saying? I'm completely God's. This guy owns me. In other words, slave, bond servant, uh, this guy owns me. I've given myself completely to this God, as we say. Ah, uh, Paul, here's who I am—the prisoner of the Lord. Urge you or beg you to do this—to walk worthy of the calling you have received. That's what he says coming out of these two verses. Man, this is this God. He's amazing. Can you you believe it? Like this is the God who's able to do like more than we could ever ask or imagine. This is this God. He's so powerful. He's so good. He's so loving. Like this is this God. He cares about you. He created the universe and you're important to him. Like this is this God. And because of that, I'm begging you. Saying this to the church, not lost people. I'm begging you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Now, let's break that down for a second. Walk is, is just a word. We can just take that out and put live there. God's not so concerned with, like, if you put more weight on the front of your foot or the back of your foot, you don't care about that. Um, what he's saying is the life, the path of your life, the direction of your life, the the way you're going. To To live... Worthy, we'll come back to that, of the calling you have received. He brings back in the the gospel. Here's the calling you have received. You were in darkness, and God called you into marvelous light. You were dead in the grave, and God called you out into life. What's he saying? The gospel. We were dead, and he made us alive through the Messiah. That's the calling, I love that because it's so simple because what we think that says, what we put in that, because this is what we've been taught in church, right? I urge you, I beg you to to come to church. I beg you to listen to Caleb. I beg you to, to, to make sure that you behave. I beg you to be a moral person. I beg you to whatever fill in the blank that you have made important. But that's not what he focuses on, is it? He says, I urge you to, I beg you to walk worthy of of the gospel. Now this word worthy is the tricky one because we've, we've been trained this way. Worthy to us means that we have to live in a way that we can earn the gospel. It's impossible. Quit wasting your time. You'll never live in a way that you can pay God back for what he's done. And if you're trying, you're diminishing Jesus and his sacrifice, you're cheapening what he'd done for you on the cross because you're like, oh, coming to church is going to appease God for what he's done. Okay, so Jesus had to die on a cross and you're going to pay him back by coming to church. It's ridiculous. Jesus had to die for you on a cross be beaten, mocked. The the guy who breathed out the stars had to step down, endure 33 years of putting up with people like us. And then we killed him at the end of that. And you're like, I'm going to pay him back by listening to this radio station. I'm going to pay him back by reading every once in a while. Probably not paying much attention, but reading every once in a while. I'm going to pay him back by by being good. You had to die and all you got to do is just be good. Do you realize how arrogant that sounds? Do you realize how much more important you're making yourself than Jesus when you act like that's paying him back somehow? Here's the one and only son of God who breathed out the stars and he stepped down, became flesh like us, lived a perfect life unlike us, and then exchanged his righteousness for our sin and shame. And you're like, going to church, that ought about do it. We make the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus cheap with any attitude that we can somehow earn the grace of God. That's why it's free, right? Because you didn't deserve it. You don't earn it. We sing songs about it and we're like, that's cool. But then we still live somehow like we're trying to pay him back. And that's making the cross cheap. You can't do it. And that's not even the word. This word "worthy" is a word that means equal, balanced. Uh, I think it, did we get the picture of the scale? Is it back there? There's a picture of a scale. Yeah, this is, is the word. This idea of these two scales. Now it's not like a scale like you'd go get on in the bathroom and hide the number from anybody, but like this kind of scale. And what you do on this scale is you put a weight in this one and something else in this one and you, you see if it's equal. The whole design of that thing is just to equal those two cups. And if if something's lighter, right, it goes up. And if it's heavier, the other side will go down. And what he's saying when he says, walk worthy of the calling you've received, is like if you put the gospel over here, and you put your life over here, that it would like equal out. It would make sense. That it would balance. That when somebody looks at the gospel and they're like, "This is the calling they've received. This is what Jesus has done on the cross," and then they put your life over here, that it's it's a response that makes sense. He's like, "This is this God," and I beg you to see it, and I beg you to 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 live like you see it. Why does He beg you to live like you see it? It's at the end of that 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 last thing, right? Therefore. You just back up just a little bit. Because the beauty and the majesty of God is at stake to the world. The glory of God is at stake to the world. That's what he's saying. This is why it's important that we live in a way that makes sense. And the beauty of the gospel is because people are going to see the beauty of the gospel in you. Or they're not going to see it. Christ came down. Why? So we could see the beauty and the majesty of God. And we saw it in Him. In some way, that that makes sense, right? Like, this is is the Son of God. And He loves us and He proved that because He died for us on the cross. And it makes sense. And it made sense to us. And and it brought God this beauty and majesty. We're like, man, this is this God. This God who says that He loves us. This is Him. And He displayed it on the cross. This God who says He cares about us and He hears us. Like, He heard our prayer and He come down to rescue us. This is this God. It makes sense. And it brought God majesty when people saw christ it showed the beauty of god when people saw christ and he's like hey here's what's at stake to your friends and your family and the people at the grocery store and the people you work with here's what's at stake it's not oh they heard me say this thing that i shouldn't have said or they heard me be this way that i shouldn't be or or i didn't invite them to church it's bigger than that there are people on this planet today that have never experienced the beauty the glory of god and he says you're the tool This God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And he's able. And there's a world that needs to know he's able. And you're the tool. There's a world that needs to know that he loves him. And you're the tool. There's a world that needs to know that he came. And you're the tool. You're the vessel. And because of that, man, I'm begging you. You see the words? He's not like, hey, I'm a a preacher and I'm up here to tell you that, that you're doing it wrong. I'm doing it good and you're doing it wrong. This is not the attitude of Paul. He's saying, Do you get it? This is so important. It's not like you might not make it to heaven. It's your family might not. It's not you you may not make it to heaven. It's your coworkers. They, they may never see it. Your city may never see it. The, the world may never see it. Because if you don't do it, they're not gonna get it. So I'm begging you, like this is the image. I'm begging you, people, we gotta do something here. This is God. He's worthy, and people need to know it. So I'm begging you to please live in a way that makes sense in light of the gospel. I don't, don't care what you say, by the way. I love the am evan- I'm gonna hurt somebody's feelings. I love the evangelism tactics that are like I'm gonna read you a bunch of verses and then I'm gonna ask you what you want to do with that. 'Cause what you're doing is like, I've done my duty, now it's your responsibility. Reading a bunch of verses doesn't show anybody the beauty and the majesty of God. I think John told me last week he said evangelism is what worship what happens when worship breaks out of the secret place. When we get out of these four walls and we just can't quit talking about him. Right? Like we can sing all day long, oh he loves us, oh how he loves us in this place and we'll go out there and never mention it. He's like, Why you worship out there like you do in here? It's, those words are true in this room when it's dark, or they're not true in that when it's light. He's like, it's about the beauty and the majesty of God in the world knowing it. And then he like explains that for a couple verses. He's like, here's what, here's what it would look like. In case anybody wants to try it. With all humility. So you've got to be humble. What, what a life in light of the gospel looks like is a humble life. And what is he saying? A life that beats up on yourself? No, it's not humility. We talked about it last week, right? Like, humility is just thinking more of others than you think of yourself. Making it about other people. Right? Humility is not, I'm so dumb, I screwed it up, I blah, 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 blah. That's not humility. That's pride because you're still making it about you. Humility is, you know what, like, I have feelings and they're real, but today it's about something other than me. It's, it's about other people. Now, why is that the first thing that he puts on there? Because, man, we're already talking about other people, aren't we? He's talking to the church in Ephesus who's hiding in a room, singing some songs, and he's like, man, there's a city full of people that need to know about the beauty and the majesty of God. And they're never going to know it if the only time you intersect with God is in this room. They're never going to see the beauty and the majesty of God is the only time you live it out it's when we're in the dark in this room. It's easy to live it out when everybody's singing the same song and everybody's got their hands up. What does it look like on Monday? And if you're going to do it, here's, here's ground zero of that. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about something greater than you. Man, I think if we could just go ahead and get into that mentality that the church would be such a different place. It's not about my wants, my preferences. It's not about who spoke to me or who didn't speak to me. It's not about what they said about me or what they didn't say about me. It's not about any of that. It's about something greater than me. It's about him, right? And then after him, it's about them. And after we've got everybody else, then it can be about me. He's like, if you want to live a life that makes sense in the light of the gospel, it's going to be about others. How do we know that? Because Christ's life was about others. When he stepped down, you ever read Philippians 2? What did he say? He humbled himself, became obedient, became like a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the death on the cross. Why? Because he wanted to experience death? No, because he wanted to get you out of it. It was about you. About serving you. And he's like, man, that's what the gospel life looks like. It's about other people. It's about humility. You want to be uh, somebody that makes sense. You want to be somebody that people see the beauty of God in. Why don't you try making it about somebody else? He goes on, he says, "In, in gentleness. Walking worthy. Walking in a way that makes sense. It's a gentle life. What does that mean? We don't blast everybody every time something doesn't go our way. Calm is like a word for gentle. Mild is a word for gentle. It's not about us, and we don't have to engage our emotions and our feelings all the time. Man, if you are guided by your feelings, you're being guided by the wrong thing. I just want you to know that today. Feelings are liars. There's a truth that is the word of God, and, and feelings will drag you away from that quicker than anything else. And he says, if you want to live a life that makes sense, you live a life where you're gentle. You, just, you know, you're kind to other people. It's about other people anyway, so you just, you know, treat them. It's like we learned it in kindergarten, right? Treat others the way that you'd want to be treated. You didn't know we were bringing that back this morning. You know why? Because it says in the Word of God, man's anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Your anger doesn't show anybody the love of God. You blasting them doesn't show anybody the love of God. You chewing people out doesn't do anything to show people the love of God. You hating on people doesn't do anything to show anybody the love of God. And you're supposed to be a reflector of the beauty and the majesty of God. So make it about somebody else and be gentle. (laughs) He goes on, he says, with patience... Ouch. Patience is just a word that means able to wait without being annoyed or agitated. Able to experience delay without being annoyed or agitated. You know, when you're set, I hate traffic more than anybody probably. You're sitting in traffic and honking, honking and flipping people off with your Jesus bumper sticker. It doesn't show anybody the gospel, does it? Patience is a hard one because, like most of us, aren't. It's not. It's about us, so it's not. We're not patient. But you know what I thought about last night? As I was thinking about this, is patient people are people that trust. We're not patient because we don't have faith. I'm sitting in traffic because God has a reason for me to be in this traffic. That's annoying, right? doesn't make it less true. I'm experiencing the delay on whatever is happening in my life right now because that's the sovereignty of God at work in my life. That's what he wants for me right now in this moment. And I trust him. Patient people are people of faith. And he's like, if you're always getting tore up because things aren't going your way when you think they should go your way, you are not showing the beauty and the majesty of God to the world. Oh, i got faith that God's going to handle my eternal soul, but I don't have faith that God has a purpose for what I'm waiting on right now. that makes sense? It says that we accept one another in love, that we love each other. This doesn't just mean people like us, by the way. People look like us, dress like us, same skin tone as us. It doesn't mean that. People that behave like us or don't behave like us, it doesn't mean that. People with the same hobbies, with different hobbies, do doesn't mean like that. People that talk like us, don't talk like us, doesn't mean that. We love one another. We love people. <laughs> Isn't that a crazy idea, a revolutionary idea, that we just love people? We love each other, should love each other. Go read Corinthians 13, figure out what love looks like, by the way. right? Keeps no record of wrongs. You know what that means when we leave this place? Oh, you know who didn't speak to me this morning? I didn't forgot it because I love him. Doesn't matter. You know what they said about me? Keeps no record of wrongs. Doesn't matter what they said about you because you love him. That's the love he's talking about. Love like Jesus loved us. We, you know how much harm we did to him with our sin? If you were the only person to ever sin, don't worry, I got your back. If you were the only person, you and me were the only people to ever sin. Jesus still would have had to die. It would have been just as painful. He would have had to go through just as much because sin had to be crushed on the cross. Now, luckily, we're all in this together and we're all equally stupid. But isn't it foolish to pretend like we're these ambassadors for the gospel, but we pick and choose who we like and who we don't like because how they dress or how they act or because they didn't speak to us or because they said something about us? I was like, that doesn't make sense. God loves me unconditionally and forgives me, and I mess up day after day after day, but he keeps coming back and coming back and coming back, but I don't like them. Does That make sense. People are going to see the beauty and the majesty of God. They're going to be like, man, this is the love of God. They're going to experience that through how you love them. Why do you keep coming back? Because God kept coming back. I keep screwing up. Why do you keep loving me? Because I keep screwing up and God keeps loving me. It's the only kind of love I know. It's about something greater than us. It's about the glory of God to the world. And then he says, diligently keeping the unity of the spirit with the peace that binds us. And let's talk about the church for just a minute because he's right into the church. The world will never see the beauty of God in a church that can't get along. These are God's people and they hate each other and they talk about each other and they run each other down and they beat each other. And when one of them falls, man, everybody jumps on it. They're like sharks with blood in the water. They'll never see the glory of God in that. They'll never see the forgiveness and the beauty of God in that. They'll never see the restoration of God in that. You sin and we're piling on you, right? They're never going to see the forgiveness and the restoration of God in that. Now, how if they can't see it in that, how are they ever going to see it in, I don't like this and I don't like this and I don't like this and I don't like this? Because it's not about you. Grand scheme of things, carpet doesn't matter, music doesn't matter, building doesn't matter, feelings don't matter. It's a heaven or hell thing. It's an eternity thing. It's going to go beyond your little temporary fit that you're having right now in this moment. It's going to go beyond that, and people need to see the beauty of God. And this is what he's saying. But here's the crazy thing. What's he say? Working Diligently working to keep the unity. Not only do you just have to keep your mouth shut, you gotta like work to make sure everybody else does too. Isn't that like a crazy thought? Diligently working to keep unity. I'm always working on me to make sure I keep unity, but I'm always helping other people to keep unity too. Isn't that a crazy idea? Kind of speak frankly for a moment. If somebody's a gossip, And they're gossiping to you. You're just as bad as they are if you let them. That's not diligently keeping unity in the church. If somebody's running somebody down and you let them run somebody down to you, you are just as bad as they are. I just want to be a listening ear. What does that accomplish? You let them be negative and vent all that? What do I do when I get negative and vent all that? I amp myself up and I need somebody to say, Brad, that may be a real problem, but you need to calm down, brother. God loves him. You love him. Oh, we we got to work it out. It's encouraging people to put on their big boy pants and go talk it out when they have a problem, not talk about it out when they have a problem. We create so many fires in the church, not by being the person with the match, but by being the kindling that allows it to stoke the flames. We think we're doing good and we're really doing harm because I listened, I validated it, and now they're going to tell somebody else, and they're going to tell somebody else. And now we got red team and blue team, and we're at war. And a civil war in the church does not bring glory to God how are we going to share heaven together if we're so busy worried about our feelings right now we can't even share a room together? It doesn't make sense. That's that's what he's trying to say. That's what he's saying to the, to the church. None of, why, why would he write this to the Ephesians? Because he knew... 2,000 years later, we were going to read it? No. Because the Ephesians are filled with people like us who aren't very good at this, like us. Anybody, like, when we were going through that list, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'll do it for me. um, You're like, I'm not very good at some of that. I I got that one (laughs) sometimes, but I'm not good at that as a whole. Here's what's crazy. It ain't a buffet. I'm good at this one, so this one doesn't matter. It's not a buffet. He says, I'm begging you guys. I'm begging you. Why? Because it's worth it. Why? Because more people come? It's not I've ever been about that. Because people need to see the glory of God in the church of God. People need to be able to look at you in this place and out of this place at work, right? This works at work too, around the water cooler. I don't like that guy. I hate that guy. He's a jerk. Does that make sense? Because God doesn't. He said, we got to get that it's about something greater than us. We have to get, we have to make it important to us that that like people are dying without God. And we are the tool today in the belt of God that he's chosen to use to display the glory of God to the nations. Like we're what they're looking at. What what does Christ say before he leaves his disciples? He's like, people are going to know your mind by how you love each other. You, you got to love each other so well that people are like, I don't even get that. I don't even understand that. I don't know what's going on. But like, it's only Jesus's people that love each other like that. That should be said about every one of these things. Like, how are you so humble? Why are you always about other people? You got to be one of those Jesus people because it's only Jesus's people that are like that. How, how are you so gentle? Like that dude just cussed you out at the Walmart because you like cut him off with a buggy. Not a big deal. And you just like, were are like, I'm sorry, sir. Have a great day. How are, How are you like that? doesn't make sense. I would have blown up on that guy. It's only Jesus' people that are like that. How do you love people like that? They, they talk to you horrible. They, they just keep messing up, and you just keep letting them come back over and over again. Like, God, why do you love people like that? you you got to be one of those Jesus people because it's only Jesus' people that do that. It doesn't make sense anywhere else. Nobody else lives like that. He's like, that's what the church should look like. I mean, I'm going to say it again. That's what the church should look like. Nobody else lives like that. At home, people should be like, why are you this way? Why are you the way that you are? Nobody else lives like this. Because that is what displays the majesty and the beauty of God. And and we're not good at it. So he goes on and he just like, let me just remind you of some things real quick. There's one body and one spirit. We got a lot in common. There's only one body, one church. And there's only one spirit, the Holy Spirit, right? And and, and just as you were called, you, you've all got the same hope. You're calling the gospel. You've only got one Lord. There's not like many masters. There's only one master. So you all should act kind of the same because you got one boss. You've only got one faith. You've only got one baptism. You've only got one God and the father of all. And, and then he goes on and he says, who is above all and through all and in all. He ends up by saying, this is, this is why we're alike. See, so we want to focus on how we're different all the time. And the, and the reason that Jesus just pulls us back here to why we're all alike is because it's easy to get fixated on, they don't dress like me, they don't act like me, they don't talk like me, they don't do the right thing, they don't serve like me, they don't whatever we want to put in our little box, and we want to lift ourselves up. And he's like, let me just tell you, all the stuff that matters is the same. All the stuff that matters is the same today. And I just want to remind you before... We go because if you're like me, like this feels pretty impossible, right? I don't love like that. I don't know if I'm ever going to be good at that. I'm not patient like that. I don't ever know if I'm going to be patient like that. I don't. I don't. I'm not gentle like that. I don't even know if I'm, I don't know if I'm ever going to be gentle like that. He just wraps it up with this idea: that same God who's the Lord and the Father of all. He's above all, right? Like he's in charge of everything. Need any more motivation today, that's it, right? Like he's in charge of everything. He gets to determine if these verses matter, and if they didn't, they wouldn't be in there. He gets to determine today that it's not a buffet, we don't get to pick and choose. He gets to determine today that it's worth it to, to live a life that brings beauty and honor and majesty to the name of God. He gets to determine that we don't. He's above all, he's the boss. But what else does he say? He's through all. When it feels impossible, I just want to remind you that this God is working in all his people. He's working through all his people. When you're like, God, I'm not good at this. He's like, it's okay, brother. I'm working in you. God, I don't love like that. It's fine, sister. I'm working in you. I'm doing something in you right now. I'm above all and I'm through all. And then he reminds us, he says, and I'm in all. I'm in Every single one of you that know me, I'm in every one of you that know me. I wouldn't have ever called you to it if I couldn't do it. And what's that call us right back to? To him who is able. I'm not good at that. Doesn't matter. Our God is able. I don't love like that. Doesn't matter. Our God is able. You can get there. I, I'm not patient like that. Doesn't matter. Our God is able. You can get there. He's able to do more. This is like the minimum of the stuff that God can do. He can help you to be humble today, but He can do more. He can help you to love today, but He can do more. He can make the glory of God known to the people that you work with because he can do more. He can make the glory of God known to the family that don't know him because he can do more. He can make it known to our city and our nation and the world because he can do more. This is that God. He's able to use people like you and me who screw it up every single day, who don't have it together, who can't figure it out, who could never do this on our own. And that's why he calls us. Before he ever calls us into it, he's like, I need you to remember who this God is. I'm going to call you this morning into something hard, into something that's a struggle, into something you're going to feel like quitting on over and over and over and over again. And if you're going to pick it up and keep walking and you humility when you jack it up and love when you screw it up and you're going to keep in mind the focus that it's about the glory of God not about my name or or what I can do it's about him if I'm going to live in that life I've got to know before I start anything else he can and will do it in and through me I want you to know today just dream with me for a minute God's able to do more than we can dream, so let's just dream for a minute. God could change your home today and make it a beacon of the glory of God in and through you today. God could change your workplace today and make your desk a beacon of the glory of God in and through you today because He's able. He could change your school today. Let's just dream. What would it look like? He could change your neighborhood today. Let's just dream. What would it look like? Our God's able. What would your neighborhood look like if God just settled down in that? And people saw the beauty and the majesty of God. God. And you, what would it look like? What would your family look like? What would your school look like? What would your home look like? What would what would the city look like? What would the world look like? And Paul says he's able. He's able today. You can't even wrap your brain around it today. but He's able today. And he didn't have to use somebody else today. He didn't have to use... That preacher or that singer or that church or that, no. He can use you. Because that same God who's able, no, he's above all. But I want you to know he's through all and that includes you. And he's in all and that includes you. And he's working today. He's just inviting us to join him in that work. Is he worth it? Do you see it? Is he is he beautiful enough? Are they worth it?